Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting here with Alexis Linkletter. How you doing, Lex? I'm feeling good. I'm ready to go. We're feeling dandy. We just had a big uh, first degree brainstorm sesh right before this because we're revamping Killing Time. It's coming back tomorrow, actually, and it's going to be new and improved and just wacky but informative. Yes, and lots of true crime light for you to digest. Lots of true crime light. I know we're bringing a little bit of it back. We're still going to be our dumbass selves, but I think it's going to be good. Agreed. Do we have any housekeeping other than join our Patreon? If you want some more first-degree content, we have full-length episodes for you every single week over there and like two years of banked content. So there's way too much to go around. And those episodes are only getting better, really. I I love them. I know. We're recording one right after this and it's insane. So Yes. All right. Well, I think that's enough of that, right? It is. All right. So let's turn on the lights. And turn up your anxiety. Because this could be you. Behavioral issues amongst high school aged teens are pretty normal. It's a confusing time. Kids lash out while they're going through puberty and as they struggle to figure out who they are and where they belong. But where is the line drawn between normal growing pains and something potentially much more dangerous? At what point should we become afraid of teens, of our own children? Another question, do parents have blind spots when it comes to this stuff, either because they're unwilling or unable to entertain the possibility that this child, their child, could ever harm anyone else? In today's story, we address these questions and so many more. So today's case takes us back to July 16th of 2011. NASA's Dawn space probe entered orbit around the protoplanet Vesta, 100 million miles away from the Earth. It was also the 12th anniversary of the plane crash that claimed the lives of John F. Kennedy Jr., his wife Carolyn, her sister Lauren, and this was off Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts. The top songs on the radio were Party Rock Anthem by LMFAO and Give Me Everything by Pitbull and Adele's Rolling in the Deep. And at the movie theaters, everybody is going to see Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2, Hell Yes. And then also Transformers, Dark of the Moon. Right. And the setting for today's case is Port St. Lucie, Florida. So from the outset, the city, which is 40 miles north of West Palm Beach, was designed with retirement in mind, curated for an aging community of residents. 
This place was formally established in the early 1960s when it was advertised as an ideal place for retirees to relocate as parcels of land along the St. Lucie River were subdivided and sold off at an expansive rate. Think golf courses, assisted living facilities, bingo halls, and shuffleboard. But Port St. Lucie has a darker side, which is relevant to our story today. Despite being a popular destination for retirees, by 2010, there was a lack of facilities targeting the city's high population of young people. There are very few things for teenagers in this area to do, which means that teenagers there, they get bored. And you know the old adage about idle hands. They're the devil's workshop. And today we have two first degrees to introduce you to, Brianna and Clara. And they are two friends from Port St. Lucie. They went to grade school there, including middle school and high school. And they can personally attest to how truly boring this place actually was. Here's Brianna. Grew up in Port St. Lucie. At the time, it was a pretty small town. Now it's really flourished and become a much bigger town. But it was actually kind of nicknamed Pot St. Lousie. When I was growing up, because there was nothing to do but, you know, sit around and smoke, and that's just kind of what everyone did. And here's Clara. I mean, I moved there from Indiana, so there was more for me to do, but it was all hanging out at the mall, a lot of skateboarding, hanging out at the park is what we did after school. Nothing to really, really do. Even in towns where there's nothing to do, kids always manage to carve out places to hang out where they're free of adult supervision, a place where they can, you know, be kids. Here's Brianna again. We would all go to this park that was behind the middle school and all the time after school, on the weekends, we would always go to this park. We were literally the quintessential emo kids at that point. Clara and Brianna were part of a large group of kids who would hang out at this park. And somebody else who was part of this group was a kid named Tyler Hadley. And according to both of them, Tyler was not somebody who really stood out from the crowd. He was quiet, unassuming, and not particularly memorable at all. Here's Brianna. I always remember him kind of in the background. I don't remember him talking too much wasn't the type of person that ever really smiled, always had on a black hoodie. I mean, at that point, most of us did, but he was always like all black, black hoodie. I don't know why this image is coming in my head, but I just picture him standing there kind of with his black hoodie on, hands in his pockets, just kind of observing everything, not being very social and being a part of, you know, whatever shenanigans we were getting into. He was very much kind of kept to himself. I do remember he was kind of in detention a lot, too. Like, he was always kind of in trouble at school. I can't recall exactly for what. He would always go to whatever events were going on. There was this one coffee shop by day. They would have a lot of local bands by night. It was called Exodus, which is such a throwback to even think of. But they would always have bands there. He would always show up. It would always be the emo kids, the scene kids, kind of everyone that was, I guess, testing the boundaries. At this coffee bar, it would always be screamo bands, local screamo bands. And Clara knew Tyler through a middle school boyfriend. In middle school, I briefly dated one of his friends, you know, as much as we do in eighth grade. He was a little quiet out of the group, but he wasn't anything strange, nothing too weird or anything. Nothing creepy quiet. He always seemed, you know, normal, any interaction I've ever had with him. 
A deep dive into Tyler's history reveals that he appeared in a local newspaper for his academic achievements beginning in elementary school. He seemed to be a good kid. In 1999, he was named Student of the Month at Bayshore Elementary. In 2003, he made the honor roll. In 2004, he was lauded for having perfect attendance that year. Tyler was normal. He liked to skateboard, ride his bike, play football in the street, and play basketball with his dad. And Tyler really had what appeared to be a picturesque family. His parents were Blake and Mary Jo Hadley, and they moved to Port St. Lucie from Fort Lauderdale years earlier to be closer to Blake's parents who had retired in the area. And Blake worked as a watch engineer at the Port St. Lucie nuclear power plant, and Mary Jo was a beloved elementary school teacher. The Hadleys were Catholic, and they had attended St. Lucie Catholic Church, where Blake and Mary Jo Hadley had been active members for 25 years. Tyler also had a brother named Ryan, who was six years older than him, and they had two family dogs, a lab, and a beagle. Tyler was a good kid. He didn't cause much trouble, and neighbors described him as polite. But soon, issues did emerge. Tyler struggled when it came to extracurricular activities and committing to them. And his parents tried to get him involved in things, and he would quit sports teams he joined and quit instruments he tried. Tyler also dealt with normal childhood irritating things like acne, which he was on medication for, and depression. And Tyler's relatively benign elementary school bad behavior seemed to worsen as he entered middle school. He reportedly started experimenting with drugs and at the same time participated in minor crimes like defacing public property, breaking windows, stuff like that. And it's when Tyler entered high school is when things took a turn for the worst. Rolling Stone did a robust investigative piece on this case. And per their interviews, Tyler became increasingly quiet, but he was really prone to disruptive and nonsensical outbursts in class. He would just kind of start laughing hysterically for no reason in the middle of a quiet class while the teacher was speaking. And one student recalled that one time during biology class, Tyler just started mooing loudly like a cow. His behavior was really difficult for his peers to understand and even more challenging for his parents to navigate. His depression worsened and he began struggling with an eating disorder. Tyler's mom, Mary Jo, was so worried about her son being bullied that she started giving Tyler injections of human growth hormone, hoping it would boost his confidence. Mary Jo and Blake tried to get ahead of the bad behavior and discipline their son, but things only seemed to be getting worse and worse. In one instance, Tyler started a fire at the River Park Wildlife Preserve. He and some friends doused a couch with gasoline and just set it ablaze. Thankfully, the fire department was able to control the fire before too much damage had occurred. Right, and then more trouble followed. Tyler then reportedly injured a child in a car accident while he was driving his father's pickup truck. And the family of the hurt child sued the Hadleys as a result. Tyler's experimenting with drugs and alcohol also intensified. He appeared to be self-medicating by smoking pot and taking Xanax, Percocet, and Oxycodone, ecstasy, and hallucinogenic DMT. And he was doing all of this by the time he was 16 years old. And he kept getting in trouble more and more often. The fights with his parents worsened as Blake and Mary Jo struggled for solutions to getting their son back on a straight and narrow path. And worried Tyler was struggling with mental illness, his parents tried to get him the help that he needed. They invoked what was called the Baker Act to get Tyler into treatment, which under Florida law allows for parents to commit their children, if under the age of 18, to involuntarily psychiatric treatment in extreme cases. He was admitted to a mental health clinic called the New Horizons, where Tyler engaged in daily counseling sessions. Blake and Mary Jo's biggest fear is that Tyler would do something to hurt himself during this time. 
But despite all of this, things only seem to get worse. In the spring of 2011, Tyler got into a fight at a friend's house and was arrested. And since he already had a record, he was sentenced to a week at the St. Lucie County Jail. His parents, at this point, they're desperate. So he was grounded and Mary Jo took Tyler's cell phone away as punishment. Clara, who had considered Tyler a friend in middle school, saw and heard less and less and less about Tyler when it came to high school time. That was until July of 2011, when word about a party at Tyler's house began to spread like wildfire through the network of Port St. Lucie teens. We kind of broke off on friend groups actually hanging out, but he never attracted any attention to himself. Nobody ever really talked about him. And then, yeah, all of a sudden he threw a party one night that was pretty much the first I'd heard from him in a couple of years. We told you how absolutely boring this place was, how there was never anything for anybody to do. So when somebody had a party, it was a huge deal and everyone would show up. Right. And at 1.15 on July 16th, Tyler made a post to his Facebook account. It read, party at my crib tonight, maybe. For the record, Tyler wasn't a popular kid. Many of the people who were planning to go to this party had no idea who Tyler was. Maybe this is why Tyler was doing this. Maybe he craved popularity. And if so, it seemed to be working because everyone was talking about it. Everybody was going. It was what everybody was talking about that night. There was supposed to be a big party. It was what everybody was doing. It was just an open Facebook party. But those who knew Tyler were also very surprised to hear that he was throwing this bash at his house. Because of all the trouble he'd been in recently, Tyler's friends knew that he was really on thin ice with his parents. So why would they allow him to have a party? When pressed by his friends, Tyler told him that his parents were going to be out of town. And despite the questions, things just kind of barreled forward. Right, because at 8.15 on the same day, on the 16th of July, Tyler posted what seemed to be a confirmation that his party was in fact happening. Here's what the post said. It read, party at my house, HMU, which is hit me up. Like every other teenager in Port St. Lucie, Clara was definitely planning to go to Tyler's party. But then fate stepped in. We were all getting ready to go and then I didn't feel good. So me and my boyfriend stayed and our friends that we were hanging out with, they went to the party. Clara felt too sick to go to the party, so she opted out and went to bed. At the time, she was really bummed to be missing out. I'm sure this was a huge deal because there was literally nothing happening in this town. So kind of a bummer. Big letdown. Big letdown. But she went to bed and the following morning she woke up and there was just a flurry of news. The next morning, that's what everybody was talking about because a few of my friends were there right when the cops got there. And then that was what everyone was posting about on Facebook the next day. There were rumors flying around. Everybody couldn't believe it. People posting pictures from the party and stuff. So what happened at this party? Why did the cops come? What were these rumors? What had Tyler done? To answer all these questions and more, you know the drill. We got to go back. The following account of what happened was pieced together from several research sources, including court documents and Rolling Stones reporting. After Tyler made posts about it to his Facebook wall, his party began at around 9 p.m. Caravans of kids arrived in the quiet neighborhood and pulled up to the Hadley's home. According to individuals who attended the party, Tyler answered the door wearing a long black t-shirt, black dickies, and black high-top sneakers. There were a lot of drugs at this party, and Tyler had reportedly even taken ecstasy before people started arriving. 
Early in the night, Tyler encouraged attendees to be respectful of the house, and he reportedly said, I don't want no one smoking inside. It's my parents' house. So kids were playing drinking games like beer pong, just having a good time. And while at first Tyler forbade smoking in the house, he eventually relented and just people started smoking inside. I'm sure things just kind of get crazy. So beer bottles were being shattered on the floor. Kids were playing loud music from YouTube on the family computer. It was just kind of starting to escalate. Right. And this party was loud, which was something Tyler was worried about. He did not want his neighbors to call the cops, but more people just kept arriving. And partygoers gathered on the front lawn of the home despite Tyler's protests. The house was being abused by the guests at this party. Alcohol and glass covered the floor. The kitchen cabinets, they'd all been rifled through. And the floor was sticky, and there seemed to be kind of a sticky brown substance in, in smears of this all over the floor. But no one looked too closely at these smears, given the state of the house and how many people were kind of coming in and out. And spilling shit on the ground. Right. Ugh. So at the time, all the bedrooms in the house were being absolutely destroyed. All of the furniture in the bedroom of Tyler's older brother had been overturned and knocked over. The Hadley's family's dogs, the Black Lab and the Beagle, were absolutely terrified. They were cowering in various hiding places throughout the night. Later, the lab would be found locked in a closet, and the Beagle was found hiding in a bathtub like the poor dogs. Poor things, yeah. At one point, one of the guests ripped the mailbox off a neighbor's lawn, which prompted Tyler to panic, run outside, and put it back. So at this point, Tyler is absolutely over his head. Yeah, and descriptions of this party just sound like absolute chaos. And Tyler's behavior and demeanor shifted several times throughout the night. At times, he seemed calm, and during others, he was paranoid. Several partygoers were eventually interviewed and reported that Tyler had shared differing accounts of where his parents were, depending on who asked. He told one person that they went to Georgia. He told another, they're in Orlando, and told a third, they don't live here, this is my house. And as the hours passed, the party dried up, and at one point, they were completely out of booze. So Tyler asked one of his friends that was 21 years old to drive him to a gas station to get beer. They bought four cases of Bush Light, and when they returned, the party continued. But to be honest, four cases of beer doesn't seem like it's going to last you that long, but that's just me. Not like a ravenous high school party. And high schoolers overdrink because they can't get alcohol easily. Yeah. So if there's yeah. alcohol, like that's why they binge drink like that. Exactly. Doesn't seem like it'll last long, but whatever. That's what they're doing. And as all this is happening, Tyler ends up making really strange statements that night as well. Like Alexa said, he was kind of like saying that his parents were in different places depending on who he talked to. And at one point, he told one of the girls that his father had actually died. But when he said it, he made it seem like he died a long time ago. So who knows what he's saying? And one of Tyler's longtime friends, Mike Mandel, had also been at the party that night, unsurprisingly. And it seems that whatever strange burden, whatever secrets Tyler was carrying with him, eventually became too heavy to bear. And this kind of explains, you know, Tyler's strange behavior. He's, he's bottling something up. So Tyler pulled Mike outside and said that he needed to talk to him. And it was then that he began what was a stunning admission. He said, I killed my parents. Mike didn't believe him and told Tyler to shut up. Tyler tried to convince him by pointing out that both of his parents' cars were still in the driveway, which would make no sense if they were out of town on, you know, some sort of road trip. But Mike was still just not believing him. No way, man. You're full of shit. This had to be 
bullshit, right? So Mike returned to the party, and it's then that he started to look around, and he began to see things in a new light. So remember when Alexis was talking about this brown, sticky substance that was on the floor? It could have been beer. It could have been barbecue sauce, whatever. Chocolate. Chocolate sauce. Anything. Chocolate. Who knows? It could literally be anything. Any type of food. It could be, like, bodily functions. Who knows? But now Mike is looking back and looking at that brown, sticky substance. Like, could that have been blood? Those are the same dark streaks that he saw near the door of the master bedroom. But still, Mike couldn't believe what Tyler told him was actually true, and he accused Tyler of pranking him. But then Tyler said that he'd prove that he was telling the truth. Tyler brought Mike down to the master bedroom and told him to open the door. And the master bedroom is the only room that no one had really been allowed in that night. And so when Mike pushed the door open, he looked down and he saw what appeared to be a human leg. So this was for real. And it seemed as though Tyler had truly done the unthinkable. He'd killed his parents. When I was growing up, I took French in high school, but I could never get the language to stick. I wanted to be fluent so bad, but it never happened. I just couldn't focus and I couldn't practice enough and it didn't work. But thankfully, there's Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program, and it's available on desktop, or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone is different. It immerses you in so many ways, and with its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally, first with words, then phrases, and then sentences, and before you know it, boom, conversations. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first-degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash first today. Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new. Because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun. FX's new international spy thriller The Veil starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge. Inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree50 and use code degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. 
It's almost summer, and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on TheRealReal.com. TheRealReal is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Staud, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. Tyler had thrown a rager at his family home while the bodies of his parents lay concealed in the master bedroom. Andy confessed every single detail to his friend, Mike Mandel. According to Mike, Tyler told him that shortly before 5 p.m. on the day of the murders, he hid his parents' phone so they couldn't call for help. Then he psyched himself up by taking three ecstasy pills and listening to the song Feel Lucky by Lil Boozy. He spent time picking out a weapon... And first, he picked gardening shears before changing his mind and opting for a claw hammer that he found in the garage instead. Once he was ready, he approached his mom and lurked behind her as she worked on the family computer. Tyler claims that he stood behind his mom, Mary Jo, for upwards of five minutes as he wrestled with what he was about to do. Eventually, he raised the hammer and struck over and over as Mary Jo yelled, Why? His father, Blake, was home when this happened, and when he heard this commotion, he obviously came running. Tyler's father was not a small man. He was larger than 6'1". He was about 6'3 and more than 300 pounds. And once he ran into the room to see what was happening, the two of them locked eyes. Tyler, he's tall. He's 6'1", but he's only 160 pounds. He's lean, nowhere near the size of his father. But Tyler still somehow overpowered Blake with his hammer. And Blake also yelled, why, as this was happening. And Tyler allegedly said, why the fuck not? So this is just the heartless thing Tyler did. I mean, he took his parents' lives in this brutal, very savage way. It's just so tragic. Then Tyler started cleaning up after all the clock was ticking and he had promised the teens of Port St. Lucie a rager. He hid Blake and Mary Jo's bodies in the master bedroom side by side with a hammer between them. And he cleaned up blood for three hours. He put all of the evidence near his parents before covering them with anything that he could find in the house. Housewares, blankets, towels, anything. Then Tyler took a shower, looked in the mirror, and laughed as he stared at himself. As Tyler recounted these details to Mike, he was obviously stunned. And what happened next was kind of a distasteful choice. It's a weird decision. Mike took a a selfie with Tyler after Tyler had told him all of this. And Mike later said, I mean, that's a really strange thing to do. And the selfie is, you can see it online. It's chilling. It's like- Very weird. Yeah. When pressed about this after the fact, Mike later said it was because he knew Tyler was going to prison. And it was kind of the last moment he had with him that he wanted to remember. And I'm like, why would you want to remember this? Like, this seems, also they were probably on drugs. I mean, maybe Mike was out of his mind. This seems just like a strange thing to do. Yeah. Anyway, very odd. But 
The party continued on despite this confession. And some people did end up leaving when they heard that there was another party happening across town. And then some of them came back when it turned out to be not true. There was no other party. And at one point, the police had actually been called by neighbors who were upset about the noise. And officers from Port St. Lucie Police Department showed up on the Hadley's doorstep. And when they approached the door, Tyler made everyone hide and be quiet. And Tyler was able to keep a straight face to get through the conversation with the cops and managed to convince him that he'd keep the noise down and that everything would just be fine. The cops left shortly thereafter, but Tyler was visibly shaken, and his behavior was kind of all over the place at the time. He seemed really panicked and manic and God knows. Right. And it was at 4.40 a.m. when this whole case takes a turn, and it's when Port St. Lucie Crime Stoppers received a call. At the time, the caller wanted to remain anonymous, but now we know the caller to be Tyler's friend, Mike Mandel, the friend who Tyler had confessed to. And he was calling to tell the police everything that Tyler had said and everything that Tyler had done. As a result, in the very early morning hours of July 17th, the police once again pulled up to the home of the Hadley family at 371 Northeast Grander Avenue. They were there to conduct a welfare check on Mary Jo and Blake. And the first things the officers saw when they pulled up was the cream-colored Lincoln that belonged to Tyler, the black Toyota Tacoma truck that belonged to Blake Hadley, and the Ford Expedition that belonged to Mary Jo. Through the windows on the front of the house, the police could see movement inside, and they would eventually learn that that movement was Tyler, who was nervously pacing back and forth in the living room. And when Tyler answered the door this time, he was met with the police's questions, and he told the officers that his parents were out of town. As he spoke with them, strangely, Tyler held one of his hands behind his back, and it's unclear why or if he was actually holding anything, but because he was holding something behind his back, this prompted the police to draw their guns and order Tyler to show his hands and step outside. Because remember, like, they pretty much know that two people are dead inside, and they're just confirming that this is true. Because, you know, Mike Mandel could have been making this up, but Tyler's behavior is making them think, okay, this is probably true. Yeah. So Tyler complied and got outside before lowering to the ground and he was handcuffed. And when officers entered the house, they observed the total wreckage of the home that occurred during this party. There was trash everywhere. There was glass everywhere. There were red solo cups everywhere. There was also blood. The cops made their way to the master bedroom. They pushed the door open and discovered that sadly, the information they received from Mike Mandel was true. There they found the bodies of Mary Jo and Blake Hadley. The police took Tyler into custody, and he was charged with two counts of secondary murder with a weapon. Tyler was denied bail and held in jail, and he would be tried in adult court. And because Tyler committed the murder six months short of his 18th birthday, he couldn't be sentenced to death, but prosecutors were able to pursue a sentence of two life terms against Tyler. Needless to say, news of what had happened traveled fast, including to our first degree, Clara, who, remember, was supposed to have been at this party. She was stunned. The next morning, that's what everybody was talking about because a few of my friends were there right when the cops got there. <clears throat> and then that was what everyone was posting about on Facebook the next day. By high school, our other first degree, Brianna, who had all but forgotten about Tyler, was also on Facebook the morning after the party. I think I found out from on Facebook, like the rest of everyone and our grade and it just kind of spread on there. And I think I was definitely in shock. I mean, I didn't think 
certainly didn't think the kid had the capability to do something like that. Here's Clara again. There were rumors flying around. Everybody couldn't believe it. People posting pictures from the party and stuff. Like we said, word travels fast in boring small towns, especially since some of Clara's friends were there when the police had arrived. So what were people saying? That he had killed his parents and that he was showing people and a lot of people didn't believe it. A lot of people thought it was bullshit and it was just cops breaking up the party and everything. I believed it. We got the newspaper the next day and it had the front cover of them just investigating a death in the home. I didn't say anything about who was involved or what it was. Remember, Clara went to high school with Tyler and when Monday came around, this was all anybody was talking about. They didn't actually release anything for a couple of days and they came to the school and they told everybody to stop posting on Facebook and try to track down the people who had posted who actually knew what was what. They did the investigation through the week and they started to release that he had done it and everything. My mom was really shooken up about it, that everybody had gone and had a good time where something bad had really had just happened. She She's really, she was freaked out. She's still freaked out about it. So many people were there and nobody knew until he said something about it. It was a big buzz, and there were cops coming and interviewing people that were at the party and his friends and stuff. Here's Brianna. Everyone was freaking out. Everyone was just shocked. There were people who had been at the party that had no idea what had gone on. They were upset. I mean, they were traumatized. How could you not be? You know, they had no idea that they were basically participating and in this kind of crime. And I think a lot of people who were at the party were actually interviewed and whatnot. And I can just imagine that would be so traumatic. The families of Mary Jo and Blake were stunned, heartbroken, and angry. It's a cruel thing when something like this happens to a family, when the person who takes your loved ones is also one of your loved ones. Neighbors of the Hadleys were absolutely horrified, and so were Blake and Mary Jo's co-workers. Nobody had a single bad word to say about this couple, so how could something so horrible happen to them, and why did this all happen? The evidence in this case was vast and included Tyler's Facebook activity. He had made a post to his wall at 4.20 a.m. just hours before his arrest, announcing that he was planning to have yet another party the following night. Slowly, official details of what happened to the Hadleys were made public. 47-year-old Mary Jo and 54-year-old Blake had died of blunt force trauma. Police had found blood all over the house, including in front of the master bedroom, the area around the family computer, and the garage. Between the mountain of evidence and the confession he gave to Mike Mandel, it seemed like the criminal case against Tyler would be ironclad. But not everything about this case was clear-cut, because no one understood why Tyler had done this. There is no doubt that Tyler was a troubled teen. But according to those who knew Mary Jo, in the weeks leading up to her murder, Tyler's behavior seemed to be improving. According to Rolling Stone, two weeks before the tragedy, she told friends Tyler was over the hurdle and that she was so happy about his improvements that he was back to his old self. And only a week before the murders, Tyler and his father Blake and his grandfather had gone to a family reunion. And according to his grandfather, Tyler just seemed to be totally fine on this trip. He appeared to have a great time and just was kind of normal. There was truly no indication that anything was amiss inside. Right. And Tyler, no doubt, he struggled with behavioral issues, but no one expected him to be violent. Were there red flags for this? And if so, how many were missed? 
Our first degree, Brianna, never noticed any obvious ones, but there was a feeling that she couldn't quite put her finger on. There weren't any specific red flags. However, it was just a vibe that I got from him. He always kind of gave me that vibe that he would like torture little animals. He just kind of gave me that vibe overall, but there was nothing specific that was a red flag. It was just kind of his energy that he was giving off. I think he did crave that popularity. He wanted to be, you know, a part of the group. He wanted to have all the friends. He wanted to have some sort of recognition for I don't know what, but he definitely wanted his name to be known. I do recall when we were in middle school, kind of the reason he was on a bit more of the outside of things. I think he was actually made fun of a lot. No one, you know, truly gave him a chance to be a friend to him. And I do remember him kind of being picked on, made fun of. I think he definitely had a lot of anger issues because of that. As the investigation into the lead-up of the murders continued, it seemed like Tyler had been thinking about hurting and even explicitly planning the murder of his parents for some time prior. Because in the weeks prior to the murders, Tyler started telling his friends about this party that he was going to throw. When he was met with skepticism, Tyler kept reiterating that he was figuring everything out, which in hindsight seems to mean that he was formulating a plan, a plan that he knew would result in Tyler going to prison for the rest of his life. I guess he threw the party as like a big goodbye because he knew he was going to go away for what he did. So he emptied the bank accounts, threw a huge party, and then as he started getting wasted through the night, he was starting to feel guilty and told his best friend that he did something and told him like a big final goodbye and everything and showed him. As Tyler's motive remained a subject of speculation, investigators learned that Tyler had been stealing money. Tyler admitted to Mike Mandel that he'd stolen $11,000 from a trust fund overseen by his parents. And on the day of the party, Tyler had about $5,000 in cash on him. Using his dad's bank card, Tyler had withdrawn $400 from an ATM. At 8.28 p.m. on July 16th, only hours after he killed his parents. And naturally, like given all these things we're learning, Tyler's motives, they're hotly debated still today. Could it really all be as simple as Tyler wanted to have a party? His parents wouldn't let him, so he killed them? Is that really why Tyler did this? Or was there something more to it? There had to be more to it. Well, what did the rumor mill have to say about it? Here's Claire on that. I've heard rumors of him hearing like the devil's voice possessing him. I've heard rumors of him doing it for the party, of him throwing the party because he was going away. I've heard he just had like a mental break. I even saw a special once uh, it was like a conspiracy special and he was mentioned on there and it was about psychotic meds or whatever that he was on that he had a break, that he had done too much ecstasy is what I heard, which I don't know if that was true, but that was the main one that people were saying that he just snapped. Many pointed to drugs as an explanation for Tyler's actions on that day. We know that he took ecstasy for the purpose of psyching himself up to go through with a plan, but did drugs play a bigger role than just that? Maybe. In letters Tyler wrote to his grandfather from jail, he said, I wish I never started taking that damn pill. None of this would have ever happened. So what pill was he referring to? So when the police conducted a search of the Hadley home, they found some of Tyler's prescriptions. 
One was hydroxyzine, a relatively mild anti-anxiety medication that some people also take for insomnia. And another was the antidepressant, citalopram. And we looked up the potential side effects of hydroxyzine, and there is a risk of physical side effects like chest pain, discomfort, or tightness, but there aren't any listed psychotic effects. As for citalopram, tiredness and headaches are a common side effect, but there's not much else that really stands out either. But we know that he was on ecstasy, he was drinking and smoking heavily prior to the murder, so, you know, anything is possible. Right. And from jail, Tyler continued to blame drugs in letters he wrote to friends. In some of these letters, he expressed remorse, too. He said, I regret everything I did. I swear it's those drugs, man. Mental illness also came up a lot during Tyler's prosecution. Initially, Tyler's lawyer intended on using the insanity defense at trial. The notice of intent that was filed stated that the defense planned to prove that Tyler was, according to the notice, laboring under a mental disease, infirmity, or defect. The notice also said that Tyler was involuntarily intoxicated at the time that he committed the crime. I think there was a rumor going around that he was schizophrenic in middle school, and that's why he was in and out of that treatment facility. That treatment facility was kind of known for not really taking things super seriously. So I'm not sure exactly what kind of treatment he received and how long he was there for. From what I recall, I think people were typically only there for like a few days, maybe a week tops. So remember that family reunion that Tyler attended a week before the murders? While while no tension was necessarily evident between him and his father, Tyler had said some strange things. One family member told the Treasure Coast News that Tyler, quote, randomly stated that he thought he was a girl because he was so emotional. He even articulated, you know, I'm half boy and half girl. Another family member revealed that Tyler had told them that he heard voices and randomly stated during a Father's Day gathering that year that, quote, he has a black woman that talks to him in his head. However, based on all that was uncovered in the investigation, Tyler's plan seemed really lucid and deliberate. Per the investigation conducted by Rolling Stone, Tyler began talking about killing his parents when he was as young as 10 years old. That's when he vowed to kill his parents to a friend after getting in a fight with his mom. And Tyler had told Mike Mandel other things as well, like how he had purposely waited for his brother Ryan to move out of the house before pulling the trigger and killing his parents. And Ryan had actually moved out six weeks before the murders occurred. And Tyler had selected the claw hammer he ultimately used three days before the murders. Right. And after Tyler's arrest, he'd made admissions to an inmate that he met in jail, telling him that he began to formulate his plans three weeks before killing his parents. He also allegedly said to the inmate, you should have come to the party. It was awesome. Doesn't sound very remorseful to me. No. Everybody hates their parents when they're a teenager, but you don't go and kill them. Like, it is crazy. And now that I've got kids that are older now, too, and like I think about it, too. We've got a 15-year-old in the house, and I'm just like, dude, I know somebody that killed his parents like two years older than you. Tyler's mental health was studied by court-appointed professionals, and Tyler told one psychologist, I was probably mad about getting in trouble and everything that was going on. The murderous thoughts started a little bit, but increased in frequency, became an obsession that I couldn't get out of my mind, pretty intense, I thought about it every day. For obvious reasons, this case generated national attention. And when Tyler was in jail awaiting trial, everyone in there knew who he was. Some wanted to be friends with Tyler. And... He got fan mail, and he started signing fan mail, apparently, with a nickname 
which was hammer time, which is like grotesque. It's awful. And while some inmates wanted to be friends with Tyler, contrastingly, there were also a lot who targeted him like and wanted to beat him up. So he was targeted as well. And Tyler's trial never happened. Instead, he went to plead no contest on two counts of first-degree murder in February of 2014. As a result, he received two concurrent life prison terms without the possibility of parole. And there are conflicting accounts about the remorse that Tyler may or may not feel. In court, prosecutors argued that Tyler was malingering, lying or exaggerating about symptoms of his mental illness. And he was trying to use them as a scapegoat. You know, that was kind of the accusation there. And the truth is, we'll never really know what exactly drove Tyler to do the unthinkable. Maybe it doesn't matter because Mary Jo and Blake are gone and a lukewarm explanation as to why will never bring them back. Looking back, Clara's happy that fate steered her away from going to Tyler's party that night. By the grit of my teeth, I did not go. And I'm so happy all the time I did not go because that's just... To be around all that is really tragic. I'm glad I wasn't put in a circumstance where I would have been in such a negative area and had to deal with all that and actually see it. My one friend, he said that when he met him that night that he was a little weird and he shook hands with him and he was all shook up because he shook hands with a killer. But he said that he looked all like dead in the eyes. Tyler's peers like Clara and Brianna graduated high school and their timelines, they continued, but not Tyler's. He's forever in prison. Normal life ended for him as a junior in high school. Here's Brianna. It still pops up on Facebook whenever something happens with the trial or something goes into motion. And actually really eerie looking at those articles and seeing photos of him now as I'm assuming he's a 30-year-old man um, in handcuffs being tried for a crime he committed when he was 17. And it's it's just a very bizarre feeling looking at everyone else and the other kids that were in the circle. They, they're married. They have families. They have children. They have successful careers. And he's stuck in this, like, vortex, if you will. He's just frozen in time. Tyler's childhood friend, Mike Mandel, later told the authorities why he decided to turn Tyler in in the hours after Tyler confessed. According to the Treasure Coast Palm, after Tyler showed him the bodies, Tyler was fine. He returned to the party and resumed talking to everybody like nothing was wrong. Right. Mike hadn't seen an ounce of remorse from his friend, and that terrified him. And frankly, I would turn any friend in who admitted to something like that. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't want any murderer friends. Nope. I'm not covering for anyone. I'm not going to nope. be an accessory. Nope. In 2017, a bank purchased the Hadley property. It had sat vacant ever since the murders occurred in 2011. Eventually, the bank made plans to demolish the home and donate the land to the city. According to the Palm Beach Post, when the house was emptied before demolition, the crew found something. It was an old love letter written by Mary Jo to Blake from 1984. In it, she tells Blake she enjoyed visiting him, couldn't wait to see him over the holidays, and that she loved him. So their love, it's frozen in time. And at the very least, Mary Jo and Blake are together forever.
A huge thank you to Clara and Brianna for being our two first degree guests for today's episode. If you are listening out there and you have a story to tell, please email us hello at the first podcast.com. No story is too small or insignificant. Follow us on Instagram at Jack Vanek at Alexis Linkletter at the first degree. Join our Facebook page. We are talking true crime all the time and join our Patreon. If you are looking for more true crime, first degree content and uh, check back tomorrow because we're going to have a brand new episode of Killing Time right in your feed. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers. And keep your friends close. But not that close. This episode was written and researched by me. Shout out to Jared Monaco for scoring original music for The First Degree, producing by Caitlin Cleveland. Sources include Rolling Stones, Incredible In-Depth Reporting, ABC, Treasure Coast News, Legacy.com, Find a Grave, Court Documents, TC, Palm News... And remember, our first degree guest is always our largest source.